way. I got my parents to put my nose in. <laughs> so sorry about that. We're gonna we're gonna jump into Logbimer. We'll see. Maybe maybe we'll get into Logbimer itself also. Um, okay, so I wanted to just begin with talking about spirituality in, in its different forms um, and try to try to explain it just in the way that I that I've probably mostly experienced it but also see it as a like as a therapist and um, where and how and when different aspects of spirituality are useful and try to work up a ladder if, if it's possible to work up the ladder of spirituality to get to the distinction between spirituality and religion and try to enter the world of religion on spirituality's coattails to like be able to explain what's unique about religious Jewish spirituality and then use that as the as the understanding of Magbaimer. And we're going to go really from spirituality straight up to mysticism. That's really what we're what 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 the uh, what the point is. I haven't really thought this out very well, but so we'll 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 figure it out together maybe. Um, the most basic spirituality that exists in the world today that's used is mindfulness, mindfulness meditation, uh, a sense of mindfulness. Um, even before we enter like the healing, the healing arts of spirituality, when we think of mindfulness, we think of learning how to slow down, to take a deep breath, to pay attention and be aware of where I am in any given moment, to be present, to be connected, to allow myself to feel, allow myself to think, Right? Feelings need to unfold. If feelings are going to unfold, then I need to allow them to unfold. Most of us live lives that are very busy. We're very stressed. And stress is the, is the opposite. It's the antonym of, of being mindful. Being mindful means that you're able to slow everything down. And even though you're busy, but you're present in the moment. Stress means that you jump like um, one of the poets said. Uh, to, to be stressed means... You jump from the very tippy top of every second to the tippy top of the next second. You never go into a second. You're always like dancing around, prancing around, like on the on the tree leaves, so to speak. To be mindful, mindfulness meditation is um, the first real stage in saying, okay, we're going to slow it down. We're going to slow down. We're going to look at every second. We're going to try to feel and be present in any given moment. And instead of the craziness, the busyness of stress, we try to be mindful. So that's that's like like the most basic, the basic form of spirituality. Um, if we think about it, one of the major things in our generation that we do when we're stressed is we indulge. We we get stressed. We need to um, manage our stress, and so we we indulge. We eat. We spend we spend money we whatever whatever the indulgence might be but in order to cope with the stressors that we feel we indulge that's that's very that's uh, kind of a very common a very common thing and um to be mindful means to like slow things down enough to get to a point where you don't need to indulge you can savor things right the 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 opposite of indulgence is to be able to savor 
to be able to slow things down and actually enjoy something. That would probably an hour, I, I think that that's like the most basic level of spirituality. Yes, that makes sense? Okay. If you go up the totem pole a little bit of spirituality, then you get to um, what would be like a surrender. Mindfulness is not necessarily surrender, but surrender is a, a stage above mindfulness. Even in mindfulness, you have something like acceptance. Acceptance means like accept reality the way it is. To surrender, if you think of a 12-step program, to surrender means it's more than acceptance. It's actually recognizing that there's some energy out there in the world that's above me. Mindfulness meditation means it's a completely body it's a completely body-mind experience. It's just between me and me. Instead of having an attitude of being busy and being stressed, I slow things down. So to be mindful is something I can do between me and me. I don't need to work on my midos. I don't need to work on understanding perspective of anything existential. There's nothing that I need to really analyze and think about life. It's just very simple. To be mindful means to be able to slow down and be able to accept reality the way it is. I don't need to, to come on to or think about anything outside of me. To surrender, to be mavatal myself, means that I recognize that there's an energy that's higher than me. There's some being that's more transcendent than I am. And if I could be in relation with that uh, energy, with that being, then somehow my life can get better. Like Rav Tzaddik, Rav Tzaddik says that... Um, a person has to realize that you're, we're all Bali Bechira, we have to choose. And that's, that's the whole purpose of being a human being, is to choose. A human being is a chooser, is a, is a Baal Bechira. And to choose is the most ultimate uh, human thing that there is to do. And so Hashem gave us all different kinds of things to do so that we can choose. But he says that in Malay, Hashem, if it, uh, Hashem doesn't help you, you can't really choose anything. So he says, kind of like the paradox of all of life is, you're a human being, you get to choose. That's your, that's your job in life. But you can't choose without some higher power. You certainly can't overcome uh, your Yetzirah without some kind of higher power. The Yetzirah is some energy that comes from without, and Hashem it lives without you, and so you have to, you have to be mavatal yourself to Hashem. So that's kind of like the paradox of human, of human living. You have to be a Baal but you also have to connect somehow to some power that's higher than you. And so in a 12-step language, what they say is, is like your choice is to surrender yourself, not to fight. Don't, don't try to fight against the certain parts of your life. You shouldn't try to, shouldn't try to work too hard. You have to know how to, how to surrender yourself. You need to know how to let go and let God, so to speak. The paradox, it's really what the Rambam was talking about when the Rambam said that there's a, a question. How can it be that Hashem knows everything and at the same time, you have the capacity to choose? If Hashem knows that my hand is going to reach out to lift this cup, then how do I have choice to lift the cup? Hashem's idea, Hashem's knowledge, His awareness of time and all the things that go on in this world, Hashem's knowledge necessitates that it's going to happen. So then how do I ever have free choice? So that's the paradox. The paradox of what's called the idea and Bechira question boils down to, in a spiritual sense, knowing that I, I could surrender to Hashem. 
that when I have to choose in a certain way, the highest level of choosing is to surrender to Hashem. But let's even taking God, let's take Hashem out of the picture for a moment. And let's just say a higher power, a higher power. I exist on this level. There's a higher consciousness. There's a higher power that lives outside of me. I could surrender myself to the higher power and, and everything's done. That would be in, 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 in this kind of calculation, a higher level of spirituality. So if one level of spirituality is mindfulness, another level of spirituality, a higher level of spirituality is surrender. So live in a, in a, in a, in a certain sense of awe for the, the power that's greater than me and somehow be in relationship with that power and connect to that power. Now, I don't need really anything. Uh, and I don't, certainly don't need religion for that. I also don't need, there doesn't have to be a God for that either, for there to be a higher power. For there to be a higher power, I simply have to recognize that I am not the shiz. I'm not everything, <laughs> right? If I'm not everything, and there's some, some power that's greater than me, then I don't need to come on to anything. There doesn't have to be a God for that. There could be, let's say, the energy that's in this room. The energy that's in this room is so powerful. I myself am nothing. But when we're all connected, that's, that's something more magnificent than I, the individual. So that, in a certain way, can be a sense of a higher power. This notion of surrender, for example, if I'm in... If I'm in a um, if I'm in a situation and I need some like love and I get love, I, I just mean in the like very human connecting kind of kind of way. If love is going to heal me, if love is going to make me feel better, I need an other person in my life. That other person could be my higher power. I can't get to where I need to get to on my own. I need friends. I need people in my life. People in my life can be a higher power. There's a certain spirituality to love, there's a certain spirituality to connection. If I surrender my will to the will of someone I love, then somehow that's a very spiritual experience. It's not just an emotional experience, it's a spiritual experience. I don't need to come on to God to, to think about the concept of surrender. I could surrender my power, I could surrender my puny little ego to something beyond me, something that's transcending me. It could be an idea. It could be um, an ideology. It could be anything. But as long as the, the, the way that it's working is, I know how to surrender myself to that being. Now that's hard for, for a lot of us, the notion of surrender, because it gets into these questions of like sacrifice and shame, because people think about like, there's a power that's greater than me, somehow that means that I'm nothing. And if I'm nothing, then I don't really want to be anything more than nothing. And I really want to be something. And there's ego involved. And then there's guilt and shame and all that kind of stuff. But needless to say, we go from mindfulness to surrender. Yes? OK. There's really another aspect of spirituality that's the other side of the coin of both of these things. And that is believing in the human spirit. To believe that I have the capacity to affect something into this world. That's also a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing to believe that I can affect change in someone's life. 
that I can build something. The, the contractor who, who essentially we didn't do a lot of construction in the, in the house, but we moved, we shifted our things around. The contractor came in and took out, there was a half a wall right over there. Contractor came in, it took him and his guys like three, three days. They chopped up this, moved this, this, blah, blah, blah. And then the next shot was the contractor lives down the block. He's a good friend of mine. He came in and he was showing everyone, look, oh, see my job, my job. And he's a little bit of a let. So, you know, he builds houses, but this was like, you know, he was showing this off. There's a certain spirituality to that. Meaning I recognize that with a little bit that I can do with my hands, I can affect a massive change. In, for our little little five people that live in this house, this little piece of 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 construction changed our lives, like for the for the good. And obviously, we paid him, and it was a job. But his little three days worth of work, which he really wasn't even here for, he just had his guys here. His little three days of work ended up affecting my life, and I have tremendous gratitude towards him. <laughs> for him to recognize that, for him to accept that and receive that and look in the mirror at night and say, I did that. That's a form of spirituality also. Spirituality doesn't just mean surrender. It means the opposite of surrender too. It means the capacity to appreciate yourself. I did that. It's not like an ego. It's much more a sense of I did that. I affected something in this world. I made a mark on this world somehow. The capacity for human beings to make a, a, a dent into this world is also a spiritual thing. That's also a spiritual thing. In a way, you also don't need God for that, but you also need to recognize that it's not just the act that you did. Your acts have meaning. The things you do have meaning in life. The meaningfulness that comes along with the things we do is also a spiritual thing. So we have now basically three different parts of spirituality. We have, we have um, mindfulness, surrender, and the meaningfulness of, of the acts that we do. None of these things really have anything to do with God. They are what, what we can call like very earthly kinds of spirituality. If you have this, this question, I, I grappled this question when I was in graduate school and, and ever, thought about it for a long time until I came to this like, like realization. I spoke to Rabbi, Rabbi Dr. Tversky for a long time about this. Um, when you go to a 12-step, people that go to a 12-step meeting and you can have a Jew, a Buddhist, an atheist, a Christian, a Muslim, and a Taoist all sitting in the room together and they all hold hands and they all get sober together. And they're all praying to their higher power. And the question becomes, well, I mean, the theological question, because I'm davening to Hashem, and you're davening to Jesus, and you're davening to, to Muhammad, and you're davening to a tree stump, and you're not praying because you're a Buddhist. And somehow we're all getting sober together. How does that work? How could, I mean, if is, is Jesus someone to pray to? And if it is, then how can I sit next to... The answer is because the spirituality of a 12-step program is very much not about Hashem. It's about my capacity as the person who needs to be in recovery. It's about my capacity to surrender. It's not so much about the higher power. It's about me. If I could let go of my ego, I can get sober. That's the spirituality that exists in this world.
Now, maybe maybe you don't need to hear these distinctions or understand these distinctions. For me, this is just the the the, the little corner of the world that I entertain, and so that's why I, I use these examples. So then the question becomes, if there really is such a thing as a God, then what is spirituality and in what way is it, is, is it affected? In what way is spirituality affected? So even going back one step, all of that spirituality, what we just talked about, to, to, to take the word spirituality and understand it, it has to do with the spirit. The spirit. The spirit means it's beyond just what my uh, what my intellect tells me to do. It's much more of the intuitive parts of life. It's the creative parts of life. It's to be moved by a spirit. It's not really tangible. It's not something you can touch and say, I did this for some logical purpose like this. It's not even that I did this because I wanted to do this. It's spirituality somehow is this energy that all human beings are endowed with to be able to live in a, in a certain form in a certain surah in a certain way that allows us to be better than just you know like a more advanced and sophisticated animal that's what spirituality is and everything we've just we've just defined you don't need god you don't need terror you don't need yiddishkeit you don't need any of those things you don't have to change really anything in your life you just need to live a little differently it's the way you live. That's what, that's what spirituality is. It changes the way you live. For those people that need to come on to spirituality for some kind of healing or recovery, so great. So then there have been all these programs that have come out that you know uh, formulate the ideas in a certain way. But none of these things do you need God for. <clears throat> if there's a God, if Hashem exists, then the question becomes, now what? So we're going to enter then into this into this question, and we're going to recognize then, if Hashem exists, therefore what? Therefore, number one, all of my life is lived in relationship with Hashem. That's number one. In other words, spirituality now moves from the realm of just something I do on my own to being in relationship with an actual being. Even in surrender, it's not about the other person, it's about me. If I could surrender myself, then I can, I can have a better life. If I could be mindful, I can have a better life. If I can uh, act and do all the things I need to do, I can have a better life. If I could express meaning into this world and I can feel meaningful, I have a better life. All of those things have to do with me. If there's a God, then suddenly my life is lived in relation. And that changes everything. Because then it's not about me anymore. It's about me in relationship with Hashem. And so that's the first heavenly, if you will. It's the first uh, form of spirituality, the, the lowest level of heavenly spirituality is the recognition that I live in relation with an actual creature, an actual being, an actual spirit that's not me. It's beyond me. And this is where, where we, we can enter into what, what 
we can move from spirituality to talk about mysticism. Mysticism is the ability to connect to a godly energy. Again, we're putting aside everything we know about Yiddishkeit for a moment. We're just looking at the, the we're working our way upwards. To be a mystic means that somehow I'm in relation with some divine spirit, with some divine energy, that there's some energy that exists that's, that is beyond me. And instead of me just shying away from my ego and surrendering my ego, I'm actually connecting to something that's out there. That's something that's divine. We don't have to define it. We just have to recognize there's some divine energy. So I brought this book just because it was like an, uh, it's an object. What's a, a transitional object? This is a book I just picked up. When the soul awakens, the path to spiritual evolution and a new world era. And it's a, it was recommended to me by, um, by some a person who calls herself a, a soul coach. Um, she does coaching for the soul. That's what she does. I, she made it, I think she made it up. And she said to me, <laughs> she said to me that this, that this book is too esoteric for her, but she thought maybe I would, I would, I would like it. And, and I started to read it. And as I'm reading, I read it after, after I was learning something, I, that's when I started to read it. And I, it, it dawned on me, the highest mystics in the world, the people who, who could really like understand the, what is like soul consciousness, the, 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 the Indian guru who spends, you know, who's part of a chain of a thousand years of, of all different kinds of meditations that have come in contact with the divine spirit, that have made their lives about trying to connect to something deeper. All of those meditative experiences, all of those great big mystics that have gone to wherever they've gone in, in higher levels of consciousness have only gone up a certain level of consciousness. They've never touched God. They can touch godliness, they can touch divinity, they can touch angels, they can touch what they would call God, but they haven't really touched God. And this really becomes a, a particular question because when we think of Hashem, so most of us, if you've been raised from, our concepts of Hashem come from religion. They come from the Torah, they come from whatever our Beis taught us, whatever our Yeshivas taught us. They come from a, a kind of a prepackaged um, um, meal that's given to you. You get all the elements together, you get whatever you get in the house you grow up in, you get whatever you get in the education you get, and you're, you're delivered the package, and you take it as one big, one big thing. And then hopefully when you graduate high school and maybe seminary, then you start to open up the package and look and see, okay, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does that mean? So we just want to talk about Hashem. We just want to talk about Hashem. If there's such a thing as Hashem, then Hashem is not simply a being that exists in the world. We have to go all in. If there's such a thing as Hashem, that means that there is a, there's a being, which we can't even call a being because it's beyond being, Whatever that means, we don't know what that means. You know, we can't we can't be masked that we can't understand that. There's a being that created, and the being that created 
created all of reality and created me. That changes everything in the world. Because if I begin with me and I begin with my relationship with mindfulness and, and surrender and trying to find some kind of higher level of consciousness, then really what I've begun the story with is me. I've begun the story with my life, with my, whatever I know, whatever I see, whatever's going on. There's no context for that story. It's just me and me. If I'm able to recognize that there's such a thing as Hashem, that means that the story of my life does not begin with me and my experiences. It doesn't begin with me and the way I've been born. It doesn't begin with me and the trauma that I experienced and the therapy I went through. If I exist and Hashem created me, then everything started with Hashem. And so I have to be able to think of everything that exists in this world, not in the context of my life, but in the context of Hashem creating me. It's more than just being in relationship with some kind of divine spirit. It's the, it's the, the, the cultivation I have to be able to cultivate. Some way of understanding the world from top down and not from bottom up. Bottom up is for me up. But from top down means that I somehow have to see that everything that exists in my life is in the context of heaven. Heaven is not in the context of earth. Earth is in the context of heaven. Right? We said this once before. Hashem is called Hamakom, the place. And there's a very strange medrash. The medrash says that the world is not in Hashem's place. I'm sorry. Hashem is not in the place of the world. The world is in the place of Hashem. It's a very odd medrash. But simply what it means is Hashem is the context within which the world exists. The world Hashem doesn't exist in the context of the world. The world exists in the context of Hashem. So whatever we're going to know, whatever we're going to understand, whatever we're going to think, it begins with Hashem. It doesn't end with Hashem. It begins with Hashem. That one little nakuda is important before I, before I read what I, what I had prepared. Spirituality in connecting with Hashem all of those things, mindfulness and surrender and meaningfulness and connecting with some higher spirits and reading books about soulfulness from, you know, ageless wisdom that's from every, you know, walk of life and doing meditations and doing retreats and all these kinds of, it's all great. It's all fun. It's all helpful. It's all meaningful. It's all fine. But if we have to stop for a moment, we have to go back and recognize that everything begins with Hashem. And maybe we have to define what that means or what Hashem means. But at the very least, we have to wrap our heads around that concept. It begins with Hashem. It doesn't lead to Hashem. It, well, definitely leads to Hashem, but it doesn't begin by leading to Hashem. It begins with Hashem and it leads to us. Yes? If Hashem created us, and this is really, if there's... I mean, everything that I say boils, 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 excuse me, always boils down to the same thing. So passing in this week's parsha, the, 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 the Pasuk says, well, in, the, in, the, in Parsha's condition that we just, we just read, Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron, and he says, gather all of Kalah Yisrael and speak to them and tell them 
Kedoshim to you, you should be holy. Kikadosh and Kikadosh Ani I want you to be holy because I am holy. That's what the that's the first words in Parshas Kedoshim. And everybody's bothered. There's a lot of questions. What is it? What does holiness mean? That's number one. What does it mean that I should be holy because Hashem is holy? I can't be holy because Hashem is holy. I I certainly will never be as holy as Hashem. There's a lot of questions. Everyone's bothered by this. One of the things we've we've uh, uh, said before is is that the word kedusha, kedushin, like to get engaged. <clears throat> in the Gemara, in the Gemara we find it's not really in the Gemara, but Rashi and Tysus have it, have a disagreement. What the word kedusha means. Rashi and Rashi says it over here in Chumash also. Rashi says kedusha means separated, put out on the side. To be mavdil, to separate something. If something is holy, if I say this is holy, it means that this now has to be removed from the rest. So to be makdish something, to say something is going to be hegdish in the base of mikdash, it means for me to separate it. Everything that exists on this table is here, but this is separate. That's that is the way Rashi understands kedusha. <clears throat> The other way of seeing it, which is the way the Balitosis understood it, is Kedusha means to ascribe a certain kind of meaning to this object. It's really just the two sides of the same, of, of the same coin. It doesn't mean to separate. It means to recognize the godless of something, the meaning of something. So, of course, if I say this is Hegdish, I have to do two things. I have to remove it over here. That's, on, that's the Sormeira aspect of it. And then there's the Asetoiv. This is actually holy. Kedoshim to you. Rashi says it means you should separate yourself from Dvarm HaSurim. You should separate yourself from things that are negative. But of course, it also means you yourselves have to make yourself holy. You have to make yourself holy. So asks the Abderav, the Ayav Yisrael, he says, how is it possible for a person to separate themselves from the Yetzirah? Like Rice Krispie Treats. Like you have a real timer for Rice Krispie Treats and the Yetzirah says, eat it. And your Neshama says, don't eat it. And you have a big, a big question. What should you do? <clears throat> Enjoy. So... So the Ayyub Yisrael asks, how could, how could Hashem give a commandment that people should be holy? It doesn't make sense. Based on my physiology, based on my psychology, based on my spirit, I have taivas, things that I want to do, and I'm going to do them. How does that work? How is it possible, he asks, that a person could be kadosh? Whether it means that you separate yourself and you separate yourself from Averas, or it means that you make yourself holy. How does that work? How is it possible for a person to separate themselves and be maktish themselves? My taiva is fighting me. It's not possible. Achain, he says. Yesh le'ish ha'Yisraeli. So he says, I'm going to give you the Jewish, the Jewish person advice. 
this person, a person who wants to separate themselves from Taiva and they want to become, they want to be maktish themselves. They should ingrain, each one of us should ingrain within ourselves at, for, at all times the following point. Isn't it known? The entire idea, the entire concept, the entire existence of the soul of Bnei Yisrael. Where did our neshamas? Where did our neshamas come from before we were born? Where did our neshamas come from? They came from right underneath the kisei akavod, which means that up in Shemayim, with all the different things that are going up in Shemayim, the Iran, Iran is uh, nuking Israel and Israel is bombing Iran and, and Biden and Trump and all the world, all the things that are shaking around in the world with global warming and, and whatever, whatever's going on in the world. The whole factory in Shemayim, that things are being produced because everything that happens down here is mirrored of what's going on in Shemayim. The whole world, the whole universe is mirrored in Shemayim. It means that Shemayim is at least the size of the universe. But right by the Kisar covered, right by Hashem's hand, right by Hashem's feet, that's where the Neshamas of Kali Yisrael come from. It's not, Hashem doesn't go, doesn't have like a chicken coop in the back where he goes and he takes a Neshama and puts them into a baby. The Neshama, it comes directly from Tachas Kisar Kavod. And every one of us is a little piece of God. And every human being that wants, every Jew that wants to know how to overcome something, what is my job? My job is to connect myself to that root, to that awesome place that's called the Kisei HaKavod, to recognize that within me, there isn't just a spirituality. There isn't just some sense that I could do something that's beyond what my body says. According to that, according to the Oyev Yisrael, what he's saying is, spirituality doesn't work enough. To want, if you want to get to a Bechina of what's called Kedusha, spirituality is not enough. You can become a great Balmidos. You could become a good person. You could become a nice person. You could be a moral person. You can be a refined person. You can be a liberal progressive, you can be a conservative, whatever floats your boat, you could be, you could, you could change whatever you want about yourself. You could be the best person you could be. But if you want to know what Kedusha means, Yisrael says, if you want to know what Kedusha means to be a holy person, to be a holy person, it means to remember where you come from, to remember what you are, and to constantly connect yourself back to that place that's called the Kisar Kabo. When a Jew has the capacity to remember that my neshama comes from Hashem, I matter in Hashem's world not like, not like global warming and not like politics and not like anything else that's big in this world. There's something about me that's way beyond that, that's much bigger than that, that's much, 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 much more beautiful than anything that exists in this world. And that's my neshama. And that's me. And then when Hashem looks at me, that's what Hashem sees. And so when I have the capacity to connect myself back to not just that idea, but I have a way of reminding myself of that. When I, in my life, in my internal world, can remind myself and bring myself to that place where I matter, 
That's called making Kedusha. That's called making myself Kadosh. Kedusha means to go back to my essence. Because my essence is the holiest thing that exists in this world. It's holier than the Kedush HaKadoshim. It's holier, it's holier than the Sefer Torah. It's holier than anything. The holiest thing that exists in this world is an Hashanah. And when a Jew has, the, has the, the fortunate capacity to go back and connect to our neshamas, when we can connect to that place that exists within us, that's a cheluk alakami mal mamish, it blows spirituality so far out of the water, that there's nothing to talk about. The mikubalim, the mystics, those people that are living a world, that in, in a world of kedusha, which we call tzaddikim, Tzaddikim, the, the whole idea of being a tzaddik means that they're able to connect within themselves to that chelik alakami mal. Now you can't touch it. You can't really get there because it's beyond us. But at the very least, to at least recognize the concept that I have a neshama within me and that my neshama is not just some figment of my imagination. It's not just some spiritual journey or quest I can go on. There isn't just some mystical sense of, of the divine, but that my neshama is actually coming directly from Hashem. And that when Hashem created everything in this world, it was all created because he wanted to create this thing called the neshama of, of me. And he took the neshama of me. He created an entire world to exist for me. And he put me into a body and he put me into this world. And every time that he looks at me and thinks of me, he says, yes, you're the tachas of this world. And when I am getting ready to fill in the blank, whatever that thing might be, whether it's saying a piece of Lashon Hara or, or gambling or, or, or eating or, or cheating money, I don't know, whatever, whatever it might be, whatever my taiva might be, when I'm about getting ready to do that, or if, or I've, or if I've done it, to be maktish myself means that in some way I'm able to remember who I am, who I am, what I am. That there's nothing that the Sahara can do on this planet that can make me any less who I am. There's nothing. I can even, I can even get to a point where I can die out of ODing on something. Nothing can ruin my neshama. Nothing. Nothing. To know that everything about the neshama of, of all Jews are carved out from the bottom of the Kisei HaKavad. The Heim and every one of us are a chelik elekami mal. Umadbik atzmai atzmai b'shorshe harama b'kodesh b'ahavavira. What does it mean to, to connect to Hashem? To connect to Hashem means to connect within myself. I can connect within myself to the part of me that's called the Chelek HaLakami Mamamish. Now maybe for many of us, it's just, it's just having that intellectual awareness. And hopefully we, we are able to make that intellectual awareness more of an experience so that it's not just a fake, a fake sense. We're not playing games here. If there's such a thing really as God, and there, it's not just a God concept, if there's really such a thing as Hashem, then that means I have to go back and see the world through Hashem's eyes. And if I want to see the world through Hashem's eyes, 
this is the beginning of understanding who I am. When a person is able to connect to that, to that thing, when a person is able to connect to Hashem, that means I could remember I have a chelak mal in me. Then I have the capacity to not just connect to God, I have the capacity to act like God. You want to know what gives me the power, the energy to overcome? Yes, it's everything else. It's being about Midos and it's about reading good books about you know, moral development and seeing a therapist and seeing a Rebbe and talking to friends and trying to find out what the truth is. And all that stuff is good. But all that stuff exists in the context of, and the reason why we spend any time doing any of those things is not just to live a better life. It's to recognize, all of it is to recognize that when Hashem created me, Hashem created me because I'm the purpose of all of existence. It's a big question. Is there really a God or is, or is there not really a God? And that question doesn't just have theological ramifications. It actually has very real ramifications. If God is simply a figment of my imagination, nothing we're talking about means anything. I can't create a God in order for me to have meaning in life. It's either there's a God or there isn't a God. If there isn't a God, then my inherent self-value has to come on some, to some kind of philosophical you know, syllogism about like, you know, because I'm a human being and my human, my human mind needs to find meaning, therefore I can say I'm meaningful. That's, the, that's the, pretty much the extent that atheists can get to. If there's really such a thing as God, then my life matters beyond any life. Because when Hashem created the world, he didn't just create human beings, he created B'nai Yisrael, Kal Yisrael. Kalayosol is not the chosen people. Kalayosol is just the name that's given to that which was the most chosen. Hashem didn't choose Kalayosol. Hashem created the world for a specific existence, and that existence is called Kalayosol. Yes? Right now, I'm talking about a lot of, I'm responding to a lot of things in my brain. So I want to make sure that I'm actually like coherent and making sense. Well, I don't understand what that means. Meaning we just happen to be that, that nation? We happen to be the nation that is, we happen to be th that creature that, that Hashem created the world for. Hashem didn't choose Kla Yisrael. We're not called the Amma Nivcha because Hashem chose us. It's that Hashem created the world for the sake of the, the, the biggest uh, um, treasure that he wanted to create. And it happens to be that which he wanted to create was, is a Jew. That's what, it happens, that's what it happens to be. But Hashem didn't choose me. Hashem didn't choose us. He didn't create us and say, oh, you know, oh yeah, you, you're, you guys are the ones I like the best. It's the opposite. We're we, were, we were intentionally intentionally created as that which Hashem likes the best. That's okay. Speak it out. Or it makes no sense. Meaning like we accepted that role? No. We didn't accept it the role. It sounds like it's more like an illusion. Hashem was the Jewish people is why the world has to be created and then we have this whole thing before Muslims are aware. 
Shem like goes around and asks all the other nations, like, do you want to be the people? Do you want to be the people? It's just basically to say you had a fair chance, even like take that opportunity. And you had a fair chance and you also didn't jump on the bandwagon. So now we come to the Jewish people, but it was like a Shem's game plan all along. Let's go back to Yitzhak Mitzrayim for a moment. When Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, that's when we, we became a nation. But we didn't become a nation then. That was just the, the, um, the way that the nation was manifested into the world. It, it had to be before that because it was that group of people who were enslaved. Right. So like, even though we weren't called an Israel, it was already like a selected group of like, you are the slaves in Egypt. When Hashem created Adam and went down to Noach and to Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov, who were not Jews, and went down to the Shvatim, they were not Jews. It wasn't really until we got to Mount Torah that they were called Jews, but it was even before that. When they when we left Mitzrayim, Hashem said, "I'm going to to you, You're going to be my my chosen people." Hashem didn't make that decision then. They had, but they all had like a like right. They weren't considered, so but they weren't Jews. Correct. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a big question. Like, what does it mean that they weren't Jews? But but let's we're we maybe we'll 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 get into that point because they were Mekayim all the Torah, which is what I really want to what I what I want to get to. They were. It was predetermined from the get go that there would be people that existed in this world that had a chelik or mamish in them. And then there were, and that there were people that were created without a chelik elakaminal mamish within them. Those select people, Adam, Chava, Cain and Hevel, Shais, and going down the line, those people did have a chelik elakaminal mamish in them. Avram Avinu had a chelik elakaminal mamish. His father did not. Terach. Yishmol did not. Yitzchak did. Esav did not. Yaakov did. What? Suddenly were chosen. Right, but my point is, it's not that they were chosen after they were created. They were created as chosen people. If you think of the word like choiciest for a moment, right? So if I if I have a bunch of things and I'm just like arranging like that which I value the most in this cabinet, it's not that I looked around the cabinet and said, oh, you know, what? I like this the most, I'm going to choose it. No, I'm already predetermined what is the most what is my most valuable possession? And I range all the things in that cabinet. And I put my most, vile, my, my most beloved possession in there. The Jewish people are the most beloved possession of Hashem. It's the most beloved creature that Hashem created. It's not that he, he created us and then looked around and said, I like you the best. It's the opposite. Hashem said, I want to create, I want to create that which is going to be the most valuable to me. And that's what cholesterol is. A, a physical body that mimics the midos of Hashem, whatever that means, like Hashem has fingers, we have fingers, but it doesn't mean obviously Hashem has fingers. It means that, what? Yes, and, anthropomorphism, right. But it wasn't like an afterthought, that's what you're trying to say. Correct. It was, pre, it was premeditated. So then when, so when Hashem went to all these other nations, that was, he went to all the other nations as a scam. In order, to, in order to give the other nations a chance to say you weren't excluded from the terror. I know you can't, I know you can't, you can't accept the terror. I know you're not going to be able to accept the terror. I mean, they, they, 
they never had a chance. They never had a chance. Their DNA. They're, exactly. Like, hate, hate, hate. One second. Wait, wait, hang on one second. That's the point. Their DNA has no shaykhist to Torah. The DNA of a person that doesn't have a chelik elikam in Malmamish is not shaykh to Torah. They could be Makayim 612 mitzvahs. That's why, that's why each one of them rejected the Torah because there was one mitzvah they couldn't do. There was one mitzvah they couldn't do, each one of them. Which essentially means, yes, there are 612 mitzvahs that are very spiritual. There's 600, in other words, there's many aspects of Torah that are very spiritual. Like in Parshas Akramais, they talk about incest. Like it's a very spiritual thing that if you want to engage in incest, that you don't. Like that's a very spiritual thing. You don't need the Torah for that. It's very spiritual not to kill people. It's very spiritual not to be jealous. And, and guess what? We can sit down and talk about the spirituality of shatnas also. It's also a spiritual thing. I remember when I was when I was in working in uh, I worked for um, I worked for an organization that was very uh, that got a lot of funding from the UJA and I had to go to the UJA I had to I mean I was invited to go to the UJA dinner and they honored a rabbi from Seattle who had worked out um, a reformed rabbi from Seattle had worked out something with all the farmers in Seattle that he contracted, he got some kind of grant from the UJA and all the farmers in Seattle um, left over like a certain corner of their field. And he and his contracting company went around to all the little farms and they collected all the thing. And for the time honored tradition of Peya, Leket and Peya. And they were, and this is the guy who got honored that year and it was amazing, everybody was clapping and the rabbi got up and he gave a beautiful, speech about the beauty of, of leaving stuff behind for poor people. And it was great and everything, everybody went home and clapped and, and, and went home. So afterwards, the next day, my boss, who was a very, very re religiously reformed woman, asked me like, so what did you think? You know, I was like really white shirt and very, very yeshiva guy then. <laughs> like, what did you think about that? And I said, it was very beautiful. So she said, yeah, but well, like, what, what is your like, you know, I said, well, as far as I know, like the mitzvah of Peah exists in Eretz Yisrael. Like it doesn't exist in, in Seattle, Washington, it's a, so far as I know. The spirituality of it is beautiful. The meaning behind it is beautiful. Whatever our human minds can comprehend of it is, is great. The Torah is amazing. The United States was founded on Judeo-Christian values, which is, which is ironic because there's no Christian values. It's a Ju Judaic value. It's just because everyone became Christian, so we call it Judeo-Christian. It's beautiful. It's great. Democracy and capitalism, the way that it is now, is the, is the best, one of the best ideas ever in the history of the world. And the fact that it was rooted in, in Judeo-Christian values, fantastic. It's amazing. The concept of monotheism also, it's an amazing concept that you don't have competing gods like, you know, like, uh, like in Greek mythology. It's fantastic. These are great ideas. Everything in this book, which I'm, I'm excited to read, fantastic ideas. It's great. It's great. I've I've dabbled in all different all different kinds of spiritual things. It's great, hundred percent. The question is, if there's really a God, then what? And the answer is, if there's really a God, it means that I have an ashama that's a chelik alakam malmamish, and that means by extension that the Torah, my relationship to Torah, is not simply just meaningful. It's not just spiritual. My relationship to Torah matters. My relationship to Torah and mitzvahs matter. It means something beyond just the spirituality of it. 
It's in my DNA. In my DNA, different from my next door neighbor. My next door neighbor is, a, is one of the tzaddik, I probably one of the tzaddikim of Masailam. He's our Shabbos guy, tzaddikim of Masailam. When he eats McDonald's or he eats his barbecue outside, it doesn't mean anything. He nourishes his body. It's great. It's beautiful. It doesn't mean anything. When I eat something, it means something. Every single thing I do means something. What he does doesn't in the, in the great cosmos of Hashem's world. It's great that he, he enjoys himself and he knows he lives, seems to live really well. He has his priorities straight. He's a family man. He makes a lot of money, but he, he spends it wisely. He has his family over all the time. There's a lot that goes on. They seem to be moral people. It's great. I, I'm very happy for them. And there's a lot of meaningful stuff that go on. And sometimes you sit around and schmooze together and, and smoke cigars together. It's great. Fine. But it doesn't mean anything. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. What I do matters. What you do matters. As a Jewish person, the fact that I have a chelak alikam imam mamish means that my DNA is hooked into this world in a certain way that matters beyond anything else that matters. Way, way, way beyond global warming. Every bite that I take of any food that I eat matters. Way beyond politics. Way beyond whatever whatever shenanigans go on between Biden and Trump, whatever, the things, the way I spend my money, the way that I, the way that I do things, the way I activate anything about my life matters a gazillion times more because I have a, I'm a chelik alikam mamamash. <clears throat> that takes me to Torah. Torah is not an idea. Torah is not a book. It's not a, it's not a list of guidelines. It's not a how-to. It's not a blueprint. It's not any of those things. The Torah is simply the written words that describe right? That's what, the, that's what it says in the Zara, that Klal Yisrael and Hashem and the Torah are one thing. A, a, the neshama of a person is carved out from the bottom of the Kisei Kavod. I am a piece of Hashem. Everything about me is godly. So Hashem manifested himself in two ways in this world. He manifested himself by creating human beings, and he manifested himself by creating the Torah. He took both things from the same place, and he just put one into a scroll with words, and he put one into a, into a body with, with eyes and ears. That's it. it. There's no difference between the two. There's no difference between Torah and Kal Yisrael. There's no difference between the two. They're, they're the same thing. They just, they look differently. They're manifested differently. My connection to Torah is not a connection of that's a nice thing to do. It's also not a connection of that's a responsibility I have. It's both of those things, but way beyond that. The Torah is everything about me. The Torah is a story of my life. Shotness is great because I'm, I have to be, I have to, I have to, I have a here to do something. Shotness is great because, you know, if you learn about like not mixing things from different types, it's like not a good thing. And, you know, oil and water don't mix. So you don't mix wool and linen because that's the way reality works. Fine. Great. It's beautiful. You can be very moved by it and, and write a, a great speech about it. But tachlis, shotness is something that doesn't exist in a Jew. It's not part of my DNA. 
And when I engage in shotness, I'm, I am destroying a part of myself. I'm destroying a part of myself. Excuse me. Shotness is not part of me. All the mitzvah sloisa says that exist in this world are not part of me. To be kadosh, to be holy, it means I have the capacity to remember that the chelik mal mamish in me is the essence of what I am. That I matter so beyond anything else that exists in this world. This that many of us struggle, and this is what we were talking about last week a little bit, this that many of us struggle with guilt and shame, and we struggle with the, the, the wagging finger of whoever's behind that wagging finger. Don't do this, don't do this, and you should feel terrible about this, and you have, you have to have this negative thought about yourself. And that, all of that stuff is part of the Yitzhahara. It's part of the Yitzhahara. The Yitzhahara wants you to forget that you're a chelik alikami malmamish. All of Torah is about manifesting the chelik alikami malmamish that's put into me. And therefore, of course Hashem wants Shabbos. Of course Hashem created, He created Shabbos. Yes, He created Shabbos. And so then you say, okay, what's the difference between me? Nobody sees me flicking the light on and off. Nobody knows, nobody sees, nobody cares. God has much bigger plans. God doesn't really care about me turning the lights on and lights off, and it doesn't make a difference. I can turn the lights on and lights off. <clears throat> so what's the mistake in that? The mistake in that, of course, yes, if you're going through an angsty teenage period in your life, fine. Get it. No problem. Or you need to like flick the lights on and off on Shabbos to feel good. Right. Okay. If you need to exert your independence, no problem. You want to rebel, great. But in Pneumius, if I turn the lights on on Shabbos, I just destroyed Shabbos. And that's what I have the capacity to do. And every, every moment that I'm keeping Shabbos, I, I just manifested Shabbos into this world. It's not about Shabbos. It's about me. Every human being has the, every, every Yid, every Jew, has the charge of remembering that everything about me matters. That Hashem didn't create Shabbos for the sake of Shabbos. He created Shabbos for me to keep Shabbos. It's all about the subjective Jew who's keeping Shabbos. It's not about the mitzvah in the world. It's not that Hashem wanted uh, uh, Pesach to happen and matzah to be eaten. Hashem said, I want you to eat matzah. I want you to shake lulav. I want you to fill in the blank. The Chiddush of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the very strange concept of what's called Saidus HaTairah, the secrets of Torah, which <laughs> is very controversial in mainstream Yiddishkeit. Most people are not learning Kabbalah. Most people are not connected to Pneum Yisatera. The very Chiddush of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was that he went into a place within himself where he discovered the Chelek Alekami Mal Mamish and he understood this that we're talking about tonight. It's not just that the Torah is here and I'm here, and I just have to follow, and the Torah moves like this, and I have to try to follow it around and try to, like, not to get out from underneath the cloud. It's not just that Hashem is in Shemayim. It's not just that, that it's nice to follow the Torah. Rav Shem discovered within himself 
that every little movement, every little thought that you have, every little decision you make, every little emotion you experience, every single thing of my existence means an insane amount in heaven. That every single thing about me matters beyond anything else that, that, that exists because my existence is a chelik mahmamish. I'm created from that place that's called the Kisya HaKavot. Soydus HaTayra, Panimius HaTayra, the hidden worlds of Tyra, what's the corollary to that? That's the inner world of myself, my inner world. You want to know what does it mean to learn Panimius HaTayra? To learn Panimius HaTayra means to learn the inner world of myself. The reason why the world is so skeptical of Kabbalah is because most of us are extroverted. Most of us do not spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves internally. Like, what is my thought process and how is this working? And maybe if I think differently, life will be different. Or maybe if I learn how to change my emotions, maybe if I learn how to free my emotions, we'll go all the way back to mindfulness. Mindfulness is a great thing. But if my mindfulness is connected with the ultimate goal of getting to my neshama, then mindfulness is the holiest thing you can do. Mindfulness means that I can slow things down and let my emotions come out. I can let my thoughts come out. I can go into my internal world and understand what's going on in there. I can spend time within myself. The more I spend time within myself, the more I'm learning. Everything about my inner world from the worst parts to the best parts is called the Pneumius of a Jew. The Pneumius of a Jew is Pneumius HaTayra. Everything that you, you, you find in, in Kabbalah, everything that you find in the Zayar Kaddish, which is what Roshim Chai wrote, is all to describe what is going in, on inside in the life of a Jew. Now, if you open up a Zayar Kaddish and you sit down and read it, most of it won't make any sense, not just because it's in Aramaic, but because it's very esoteric. But when you, when you learn enough about it, and you learn what the concepts are, you, look at, you learn what the ideas are, you learn about what's going on, everything that's going on there has to do with the simcha that a person experiences when they realize that they're, that when they realize, not just realize, they experience the chelik elekami mal mamash that's within them. What Rabbi Yochai did in this world was he brought a meeting point between the Torah that's over here, the Jew that's over here, he rewove those things back together and he said, guys, it's one and the same. The Torah is not abstract. Your heart is not abstract. They're not two different things. It's one thing. When you activate a mitzvah, when a Jew activates a mitzvah, they're activating a piece of God in this world. Pinimius HaTorah and Pinimius HaAdam are the same thing. Pinimius of Klal the same thing. All the thoughts you have going on in your head fit in with some sphera, fit in with some partsufim, with all these different concepts and all these different ideas. It's all one and the same. Roshim Barachai went into a cave and he sat in a meditative state for all those years. And what was going on in all those years was simply going within himself deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And when he got to that place that's called the Imal Mamish, it was this tremendous opening that happened in Shemayim where the Torah was malubish itself. It put on, so to speak. The Torah took off its clothes and it put on the clothes of a Jew. 
When the Torah takes its clothes off and puts on the clothes of a Jew, that's what Kabbalah is. The scary thing about it is, is, that, is that people are scared to go within themselves. These are like scary realms, what goes on inside of me. I'd much rather eat popcorn than, than recognize that I'm bored. I'd much rather recognize I'm bored than recognize that I'm, that I'm depressed. I'd much rather recognize that I'm depressed than recognize I have an existential crisis on my hand. The deeper you go, the scarier it gets. But if you push all the way to the end of all of that stuff that goes on inside of me, you pop out on the other side of your neshama. And that's what, that's what Shem Bar Yochai did in this world. <clears throat> he went all the way into the deepest places within himself, and he popped out the other side into a neshama. And what took place in that moment was a chiddush in this world. And the chiddush was... You think that you think that when you're thinking about things, you think when you're contemplating things, you think when you're trying to get to know yourself a little bit better, it's just modern psychology. What happened in that moment was, no, every single thing about you is Tyra. Everything about you is Tyra. Everything you think is Tyra. Everything you feel is Tyra. Everything about you is Nitzchias, is beyond. When Shem Baruchai popped into his neshama and his neshama revealed itself to him, there was a new Kabbalah Satara that happened. There was a new revelation of Tyra that happened in this world. And that is everything about you is Tyra. You think that by doing a mitzvah, you're acting in a certain way. You're like putting the Tyra on as clothing, right? You're acting, you're putting on a play. I really don't want to do this, but I'm doing it for the Tyra wants me to do. So now I'm doing a mitzvah. The mitzvah is an act that you do from the Tyra. You're, act, you're playing something out in the Tyra. It works the other way around too. The Torah has a way of putting you on and acting you out. Everything that I do in this world is me activating the Torah. Everything that I do in this world is activating the Torah. I'm either doing a mitzvah or I'm doing an avera. I don't mean to say that there's the 613. I mean to say every single thing about my life if I relax a little bit and, I'm, and, and, and that makes my life better, that's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. Every single little action, every single little mo movement that a Jew does to improve themselves in this world, to be more of themselves in this world, that's a mitzvah. And everything I do that is inhibited by the resistance of the Sahara, whether or not it's an Avera or not, it's called an Avera. Because the movement of my life is to manifest Hashem in this world. So every act of kindness I do, uh, the Torah is being expressed through me. The Torah has tried me on. I am then the Torah's clothes, so to speak. And the Torah is also my clothes. That's the Kiddush of Rav Shem Bar Yochai. The relationship between me and Torah is not abstract. The relationship between me and Torah mitzvahs, mitzvahs and averis is not abstract. It's woven together. It's not really woven together. It's, it's the same thing, maybe in different dimensions because one's a human being and one's a parchment with words on it. But in Panemius, it's the same thing. Jewish spirituality is the capacity to do all the other stages of spirituality, mindfulness and meaningfulness and surrender and meditation and all that stuff is good finding meaning in life and growing and expressing yourself and connecting to you know higher levels of consciousness it's all great it's all great 
But all of those things lead me to a place where I can have an awareness that everything about my life is a chelik alakami mamamash, that everything about my life is more beautiful and more grand and more majestic than anything else that exists on this planet. That's the Torah. That's why every act I do means something. That's why every midah I have means something. Everything about me means the most in this world, matters the most in this world, affects the most in this world. That's the Chiddush HaRoshim Bar Yochai. Specifically, the Chiddush HaRoshim Bar Yochai, just to say it, is that the panemius of my life is also Torah. It's not just the actions that I do. The panemius of my life is also Torah. That's really what all of Kabbalah is about. All of the Zara is about, all of the, the, all of the Talmidim of the Zara Kaddish. You know, all of Musr comes from Kubalim. The whole Musr movement came from, came from the Kubalim. It didn't come from it didn't come from where we generally think of these things. The whole Indian of Tikkun Amidus comes from Kabbalah. It doesn't come from, doesn't come mostly from, from the, the revealed sources of Torah. Because the Bali Mekubalim, the people who understood, Pneumius Atara understood, it makes a difference how you are. Before Roshim Barachai, it didn't really make a difference how you are. Roshim Barachai said it, made a di- it makes a difference how you are. The world is created for you. How you are is how Hashem gets manifested in this world. And that's where we get Tikkun Amidus from. That's what all of Sphere is about. You want to get to Matan Torah? You want to get to the Jews being Makabal Torah? You can only be Makabal Torah Torah if you realize the significant interwoven and interconnected way that you are one and the same with the Torah. That everything about you matters in this world. That's the Chiddush Hashem Rayochai. That's the, I think that's really more of a hakdama, no? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>